0: Well, when you tell people that you're going to preach through the book of Revelation, the response is never neutral. I think the more often response is of deep concern. Are, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure that you want to go through that book? Are you sure this is the way that you want to go? Sometimes it's fear of, oh, that book really scares me and that book makes me really uncomfortable. and I don't really know how to process that and I don't know if I can, can handle that. Sometimes, from those that are particularly conspiracy or Bible-coded minded, they get really excited. If that's you here today, sorry that there's no massive chart behind me as we go through this, and I'm sorry for the rest of this, as there will not be a big chart behind me at any point as we go through it. But it's something, this book in particular, that has always had a sense of mystery and mystique. It's something that has been often debated something that at times causes deep questions, something that Christians have disagreed on, really as long as the book has been in circulation. And then especially over the last 150 years or so, especially inside America, we've seen a sensationalization and a a fictionalization, quite literally, of the book of Revelation. And so it's hard to grasp what Revelation is all about. And what that tends to lead to is fear or confusion or either neglect of this book, and this absolutely can't be. We can't neglect this incredible book. But you see, Revelation is not just some sort of additional option for super mature Christians, because that's the response I get a lot too. Oh, well, I haven't gone through Revelation because I don't really feel like I'm there yet, like it's some sort of graduate level course. But it's also not just a book for the people that have that conspiracy mindset who are trying to piece together like some sort of great detectives what all of these things mean. This book is required reading for believers. And not only that, but it's a book that tells us on its first page, in its first paragraph, that anyone who both reads and hears the word of this book will receive a blessing from God. And so this is a book that can't be neglected and can't be ignored. And so we're going to take this time, and it's going to take us several months. We're going to pace ourselves through this book, even more so than we do through several of the other books we've been through. It'll probably take us somewhere in the range of, I think, about eight months to get all the way through the book, which will be a couple months longer than any other book we've gone through. But I want to make sure that we take our time to get through this book, and so it's going to take us into 2020. But as we do, we're going to put away our fear, and our uncertainty, and our preconceived notions about what revelation is. And I'm going to ask that we all turn up our sense of wonder, our sense of imagination, and prepare our hearts to see Christ as he truly is, to see what the church is supposed to do, and even some of the things that the church will go through, and most importantly, to grab a hold of the hope that comes as the result of our wonderful, majestic Savior. And so let's get ready to dive into this wonderful and mysterious book. And today we're just going to look at the first four verses, and this is going to be very introductory. In fact, this week and next week, we'll do a lot of introductory material to figure out what this is, how we process it, how we read it, so that we can lay a foundation to journey through all 22 chapters of the book of Revelation. But we're going to start here at the beginning. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, reading through verse 3. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for your word, but we also have to admit that sometimes this particular part of your word is one that can cause anxiety, can cause fear, can cause uncertainty, and can bring great difficulty to those of us who try to sit and read and interpret it. But God, we know, we have a promise in your word that it also brings a blessing. And God, I am so thankful for this incredible picture of Jesus that's put on display through the book of Revelation. And I just want to pray now, that you take our hearts and you make them incredibly expectant for all that you're going to teach us and all that you're going to show us through your word, that we would see Jesus in a way that we have never seen him before, that we would see the church in a way that we've never seen it before, that we would see ourselves through the lens of who Christ is and who he's called the church to be and that we would take hold of our eternal hope that comes in Jesus because we know how this story ends, God. That this story ends with Jesus making everything right and new and bringing heaven to earth and we get to spend eternity with him and so let us read these words with hope on our hearts. God, we ask that through your Holy Spirit you would teach us the things that we need to know and that you would help us to be comfortable with the mystery that we can't fully understand. And we put all of this in your hands, and we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning, we're just going to ask three simple questions about the book of Revelation. What is the Revelation? How do I read it? And what can I expect? So first question, what is Revelation? the Revelation. When you look at Scripture, one of the things that I love about the Bible is that it's not just simply one consistent book from start to finish, but it's 66 different books, all written by different people from different places, all inspired by the Holy Spirit. But we see a diversity not just in authorship, but we see a diversity in style and genre and language throughout the Bible. And so it's nice to be able to look and put books in their proper place and be able to know that we read Psalms differently than we do Matthew. And we read that differently than we do Isaiah because of their type of genre and the history and the context all around the book. But Revelation doesn't fit in a neat category like that. There's a variety of genre inside of Revelation. There's a variety of imagery inside of Revelation. It's a really difficult book to classify. It is the single most unique book in all of Scripture and probably in all the world. And so we have to ask the question, what is it? But thankfully, John answers those questions here in the first three verses. In fact, the first verse tells us pretty much everything we know about what we're about to read and what we're about to experience. He says the revelation or some translations there say the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And so what is revelation? First and foremost, revelation is an apocalypse or the apocalypse. Now, I imagine when you hear that word, our mind immediately goes to some desolate wasteland, right? A post-apocalyptic nightmare. And so we often think about the word apocalypse, meaning some sort of tragic, catastrophic thing that happens that basically wipes out the world. But that's not actually what the word apocalypse means. To get a better understanding of what that word means, we're going to have to take ourselves to a different place mentally. Let's pretend for a moment that instead of being at a church service, we're at an art exhibit. It's a gallery opening for your favorite artist, whoever that may be, historical, fictional, it doesn't matter. You're right now at the opening for a piece of art. And you've been waiting for this because you love this artist so much and you've been waiting to see this piece of work and you know that they've been working on it for years and years. And so you walk into the auditorium and the artist is standing on the stage and beside him is a very large something covered by a cloth and it builds the sense of anticipation because you're just so excited about the artist finally revealing this work of art. And then once everybody comes and they find their seat, the artist talks for a moment and a hush falls over the crowd. And then they turn around, they grab the cloth, they pull it down, and apocalypse happens. The word apocalypse means a revealing. This is why we call the book the revelation to John, the apocalypse to John. This isn't about something catastrophic. This is about something cosmos-shaking. This is about revealing something that was hidden for all of time from the the moment that Genesis 1 began. God had this plan that God was going to bring all things to consummation, and it was hidden, and now John is saying, we're going to get to see this revelation in full. But for something to be revealed, it also must be concealed. And the book of Revelation comes down in layers and reveals things slowly and gently. And so what we're about to witness as we approach the book of Revelation is a mystery unraveling. It's a hidden truth revealed to all who see it. And so we should come together like we're at an art opening. We should come together like our favorite band is about to drop an album. We should come together like it's Christmas morning and we see all of these packages, knowing that there is an expectation that we're going to pull back the curtain or we're going to rip off the paper and something amazing is going to take place. We should have that feeling just magnitude, magnified on an eternal level, realizing that God the same God who we just looked at through the book of Genesis, who created all things, who spoke and the word came into being, that God, that perfect divine artist is about to reveal something to us. And so as we approach this passage, as we approach this book, as we stand on the brink of unwrapping this present that God has given us, we have to ask ourselves, are we excited? And are we expectant? That's not a rhetorical question. Are you excited to get into this book? Are you really excited to get into this book? Give me something here. I am so excited as we stand on the doorstep of God saying, this is everything that you've been waiting for and everything that you've been looking for. And so it is the revelation. It is the apocalypse coming from God. But he continues. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Spoiler alert, John. You could have let us get into this a little further, but he didn't. He didn't want to wait. He says, what I'm about to show you is Jesus Christ in his fullness. When you ask somebody what they think about the book of Revelation or what stands out to them about the book of Revelation, you'll get a wide array of answers. It's the symbolism. It's the language. It's the numbers. Have you seen all the numbers? What do the numbers mean? It's the dragons and the beasts and it's the angels and the seals and the bulls. And they say all of these kind of things because it is very fantastical in its language. But one of the things that we almost never say first when someone says, what stands out to you about the book of Revelation is Jesus. And John is saying here, this book is about Christ. This revelation is the revelation of Jesus and who he is. And we might say, well, don't we already know Jesus? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we've got the gospels. We know Jesus. We know about his life and what he did and how he lived. We know about his death and his resurrection. Don't we have the complete story? Well, yes and no. You see, the book of Revelation is is picking up where the gospels leave off. Not revealing Jesus as he was, as the baby born in the manger, as the man walking throughout the region all around this Middle Eastern world, teaching about the kingdom of God. Not simply the man who died on the cross and rose from the grave, but Revelation is saying, this is who Jesus is now. That he is the resurrected king of kings and Lord of lords. But we like to compartmentalize Jesus. We like to shrink Jesus down, acknowledging, yeah, he's the son of God, but we like the Jesus that we can paint pictures of. We like the Jesus that we can imagine in our minds, but John is saying to us now, I am revealing to you Jesus as he is, and it's going to take all those constraints and all those preconceived notions and rip those things apart because I'm about to show you who Jesus is in the fullness. And so one of the reasons that I felt led To preach through this passage is because I feel like we need to learn to see Christ in that way and to worship Jesus in that way. And so we need to prepare our hearts to see Christ as the resurrected, reigning Son of God, who, as we're going to see, is so awesome and so holy and so perfect that even those who knew him best can't even stand in his presence and be prepared to learn how to worship Jesus as he is. So it's the apocalypse or revelation of Jesus Christ to John. Now, a revelation without an audience is lacking. If it was an art gallery, if it was an art opening, and the artist stood on the stage and he had his incredible piece of art hidden under the cloth and rips the curtain down and reveals the art and no one's in the room, it's a little awkward. It's not really a revelation because the artist already knows what was under the curtain. It's just a weird thing that he did by himself. And so there needs to be an audience for a, resu- for a revelation to be true. And so we see that this whole thing is revealed to a man named John. And John was someone who was intimately aware of Jesus. John walked with Christ through his entire ministry. In fact, as we're going to look a, a little more in depth next week, the thing, when John writes his gospel about Jesus, he describes all the other disciples, but when he describes himself, he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. That's how John identified himself. And so it's safe to say that he knows Jesus well. In fact, he was the only disciple who stayed with him to the end. He was the only Male disciple at the foot of the cross while the others had all scattered. He was the first of Jesus' disciples of his inner circle to see the empty tomb. This is a man who knew Jesus in a way that maybe no one else in the world did. And yet here he is, seeing Jesus in an entirely new way. And it is not a common experience for John. When John sees Christ revealed, as we're going to talk about next week, it almost kills him to see the majesty of Christ on full display. And so there is a temptation to approach any passage of Scripture about Jesus with a sense of familiarity and with a sense of complacency. But we cannot do that. We have to come to this passage recognizing that if this portrayal of Jesus was enough to shake a disciple that had walked with Christ all through his ministry was enough to shake him to the core and make him fall down like he was dead, then we cannot come to this passage just expecting to read some facts about Jesus and walk away. But we need to expect to see Christ in his fullness. And we have to be prepared to be moved by this picture of Christ. And then he says that it's a revelation by God of Jesus to John to show what must soon take place. And then we have this moment at the end of this passage here where he says, whoever hears the word of prophecy and keeps it will be blessed. And he says, for the time is near. You see, this book isn't just a revelation of Jesus, but it's also a revelation of the church that he died to save. And where he is taking us. This is a revelation of things past and things future, things physical and things spiritual, things local and things cosmic, things temporal and things eternal. And that's part of what revel- makes Revelation so difficult to read because we want to put it in a particular time and space saying, okay, well, maybe this is just about John and his audience, or maybe this is just about some sort of future generation and the people that are going to be alive there, when the reality is this is a book that reveals the entire livelihood of the church, past, present, and future, and where God is leading us. And so when we approach this book, it's much like when we approach Genesis. This is the story of Christ. This is John's story. This is the story of the early church in the first century. But this is also your story and my story. This is our story as the church of Jesus living here and now and throughout the ages. And so that's what Revelation is. The apocalypse of Jesus Christ given to John to show what must soon take place. And we'll break those things down as we go along. But if that's what it is, then what do I do with it? How do I read the book of Revelation? Because it is intimidating and overwhelming, and that intimidation starts pretty quickly. After you get through the letters to the church, that feels familiar, and then immediately you're taken to the throne room of God, and all of a sudden the language is like, whoa, this is really different than anything else that I've encountered in the New Testament. So how do I read it? How do we encounter the book of Revelation? Well, first, you read it. We cannot, cannot, cannot be afraid to approach this book. And I'm going to ask you that as we go through this, we're going to be through this in a lot of months. It's going to take us over half a year to go through this. And so that is plenty of time to read through the book of Revelation. And so, in fact, I would encourage you to read it multiple times. Read it in multiple translations. There are all kinds of incredible options, digitally and physically, that you can read through the book of Revelation. But do that. Read through it time and time and time again and be okay with the places that you don't understand. You don't need to read it with all of your detective board and your string hanging from one picture to the other trying to figure out what all these things mean. Just approach Scripture like you would any other passage of Scripture, praying that the Holy Spirit would teach you as you approach His Word, that you would receive that blessing, and then just dive in. And it's okay if you don't understand something. It's okay if something feels confusing. We're going to preach and teach all the way through this book. We're going to have some helps along the way so that we can dive into this. But there's also going to be some things where we might have to step back and say, I don't know. This is something that we're going to find out one day, but maybe not right now, and that's okay. But read it. Read it along over and over again as often as you can as we go through this book as a church. We also need to learn to read it as the fifth gospel. Someone told me that, and I don't know who it was. I don't remember them. I don't remember who it was. I don't remember when it was. But at some point in my life, someone described to me Revelation as a fifth gospel, and it opened up the way that I read it ever since. Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us the story of Christ, of God made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, coming in, taking on flesh and blood, living his life, ministering, teaching about the kingdom of God, bringing the kingdom of God to earth, dying for the sins of those who would follow him, and raising again so that we can have affirmation of our hope and our eternity. And then John takes up in Revelation and picks up and says, now that's who Jesus was, but here's the rest of the story. Here's who Jesus is now, is the reigning King of kings and Lord of lords. This is when you're singing songs to Jesus. This is the Jesus to which you're singing songs. This is the Jesus when you're praying and when you're asking him for forgiveness. This is the Jesus that's hearing your prayers and forgiving your sins. This is the one that you worship. This is the one that you adore. This is who he is now and forevermore. And so again, the first thing that we should be coming to this passage and this book of the Bible and looking for is who is Jesus? Who is the Jesus that I worship and that I serve? Asking God to reveal us to him to the fullness that we can know him here and now. We can also read it as an epistle or as a letter to the churches because that's how it starts off. This is a letter from John given by God through the Holy Spirit To seven churches. And what's amazing about these letters, because initially my thought was just to preach through the letters over the summer, and then the more that I read, the more that I was like, nope, we can't let this, we're going all the way through. But these letters are so incredible, because they're written to the churches, they're given to these seven churches, but they were designed to be circulated beyond that. Because we'll see admonitions and rebukings for each individual church, but then also at the end of all the letters to the church, there is a reminder that to anyone who reads these words, this is what you should take from this, this is how you should live, and this is what you should do, and this is the blessing that you'll receive. And so this is a letter not just to seven churches in the first century, but this is a letter to every single church of Christ that has existed and that will exist until Jesus returns to make everything new. And so this is a letter from God to us, telling us how to live as the church in light of who Christ is. And so we should read it that way. But we should also read it apocalyptically. And again, we're going to have to dive into that word a little more. Because not only is apocalypse a revelation, but apocalyptic literature is its own special genre of literature. And unfortunately, it's one that kind of dies. And so you're not going to go to Barnes & Noble or go through Amazon and find the apocalyptic section of literature. This was something that originated in ancient Babylon about the time that God's people were going into exile. And so the first times that we see that coming about inside of Scripture are in books like Daniel. When you start to see the overlap between Israel and Babylon. And so that's why you're going to see some imagery in Revelation that echoes back to the book of Daniel because they would write in this apocalyptic style, a very symbolic language used to describe deeper things or actual things that were going on in the world. There are a couple places where you can see how apocalyptic literature works if you're just really curious about kind of diving in on that. One of the best things that I've ever seen. So the book of Esther is obviously inside of Scripture. It teaches us about Queen Esther and in her effort to save the, the Hebrew people from this incredible, awful plan against them. And so the book of Esther that we have in Scripture, later on, sometime much later down the road, someone added a beginning and an end to the book of Esther that's not part of our canon, that's not part of Scripture, but it's an apocalyptic telling of the book of Esther, And so if you look it up, you can kind of see a little bit about how apocalyptic literature works because you can read the story that we have, the story that's scriptural, and then you can read that beginning and end that talks, it uses language of dragons and it uses some kind of fantastical language to describe what was taking place in the book of Esther. And so if you're just curious about how apocalyptic literature works, you can do a quick Google search and find this apocalyptic telling of the story of Esther that'll kind of help you understand. If you don't want to do that, that's totally fine. We'll work through it, and that's not required reading. But if you're just really curious about other forms of apocalyptic literature, there's one that can kind of help you understand how it works. But we need to recognize when we look through this passage that John is writing this story to people who are living and breathing under persecution. And so John is writing in code. Because some of the things that John is saying, he's writing in exile. He's already been sent away because he's following Christ and because he's preaching the gospel. And so he's writing to churches that are under persecution from both the Roman Empire and the Jewish establishment. And so they're writing in code in order to keep some of these things secret. Because revealing Jesus as king of kings and lord of lords is very dangerous under leaders like Nero and Domitian who believe themselves to be gods. And so a lot of the things that John writes are about things that are going on in their world right then. But he's not strictly writing about things that are taking place then, because he's telling us the story of the church and what's going to happen throughout the history of the church and then revealing to us what's going to happen when Christ returns to make everything right and everything new and the final judgment and the establishment of heaven on earth. And so this is a book that stretches thousands of years in its message. And so we need to recognize that it isn't just about John's world. It isn't just about ours. And we have to learn to read this book spiritually and cosmically, but also set in a time and place for people of that time and place and for future people. This is why Revelation is tough. There's a lot of stuff going on there, but we're going to work through it together and be able to see some of these things come to light. So we read it and repeat that. We read it as a fifth gospel, as an epistle, and as an apocalyptic piece of literature. The other way that we need to read this is put down our newspapers, turn off the news, put away your social media. There's an old show, it might still be on, that was... Uh, a pastor that had been doing this for a long time that was really into end times prophecy and stuff, and he and his wife would sit at a counter and his wife would read a passage out of the newspaper and then he would start rattling off passages of scripture. It was like, well, that's this, that's this and that's this and that's this and that's this and that's this. That is not what we're doing here. I promise you that in my office at home, there's not a board where I have all these newspaper clippings and red yarn connecting one to the other to the other. That's not the point of Revelation. That's not how we're faithful in trying to figure out what Revelation is teaching us. And so that's not what we're going to do. If you want a companion piece to go along with the book of Revelation, move away from current events and pick up the Old Testament. When you look at Revelation, John is saturating Revelation with Old Testament imagery, showing us how Christ is bringing to fruition everything that was promised. I have a commentary in my house. It's a big one by D.A. Carson and I believe G.K. Bill. And it's about the use of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So anytime the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, they comment on it and show it how it all works together. And the book of Revelation is really thick in that commentary because John is just filling this passage up. And so read Genesis, read Isaiah, read Daniel, read Hosea, read some of these Old Testament passages of Scripture and get a framework for some of the imagery that John is using. And so if you need something to go along with it, Then you've got 39 books in the Old Testament to set that stage. You've got the Gospels in the New Testament to set that stage. Use those to inform Revelation, not just trying to find some sort of current event connection. And then finally, we should read it with hope. Revelation is not a book that anyone should be scared of if they're a follower of Christ. This is not a tragedy in the Christian world. This is a book of promise and a book of hope. The last chapters of Revelation tell us that one day, no matter what we've endured, no matter what we've come through, no matter what has happened in this life, we are going to stand before Christ and he is going to wipe away our tears. The same hands that sculpted the world are going to wipe away our tears, wipe away our tragedy, take all of our shame and sin and suffering and death and wipe those things away and we will be new with Christ forever. And so don't come to this book with hesitancy or uncertainty. Come to this book for hope, asking God to reveal Jesus and through the Holy Spirit to help you take hold of the hope that belongs to you in Christ. So that's how we read it. Now, what do we expect as we as a church get ready to go through this book together over these months? First, we can expect Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This is all about Christ. And if there is a single sermon where Jesus is not proclaimed and not mentioned through this book, then you need to fire me immediately and send me on my way because there is no way to approach the book of Revelation without finding yourself in awe and humbled by the nature of Christ as he is revealed. As he's revealed as the lamb who was slain, who looked like he was slain, and yet he lives as the only one who's strong enough to break the seal and bring the fruition of God's plan into being, as the one who comforts martyrs, as the one who dresses us in white robes so that we can have an inheritance that belongs to him, and yet he shares it with us. Jesus saturates every page of Revelation, and we are going to make a lot of it. And we are going to see Christ for who he is. And hopefully, the second thing that we can expect is that we are going to be moved To worship. This all kind of came about because somebody I know was talking about wanting to read through the book of Revelation and asking some advice on how they approach that. And I wanted to go through it along with them. I haven't read through it in totality in probably a couple of years, and so I wanted to go back through the book of Revelation, and I was reading through it. I was also listening to it. I've got a great app that I've been listening to that kind of puts the words over some kind of lo-fi beats. It's really nice. It's good for running. It's pretty amazing, and so I was planning on teaching through just the letters to the church, and so I was listening to those letters through And then because I was running, and then I started walking, because that's how my runs work. They start as running, and then it's just a hike, a nice hike, a brisk hike, but I got really sleepy. And so I was a long way from the house, and so the recording kept going, and it got to chapter 4. And we start to see worship. We start to see all of these things taking place in the throne room of heaven. And I remember stopping and thinking, I don't do that. My worship doesn't look that way. And I started thinking about our church, and I thought, I love our church, and we are so loving, and we love Jesus, and I love how God is taking us and where God is moving us, but we don't worship like this. And so as we approach these passages of Scripture, we are going to ask that God teaches us to worship like they worship in heaven. A lot of times when things get rowdy inside of a building, people say, oh, we're going to church. But we are not trying to go to church here on Sundays. We are trying to go to heaven. And our worship should reflect heavenly worship as we see this God who is incomprehensible, this God who John uses the best words that he can to describe it, and still sometimes just comes up short because we can't fully understand it. And so John gives us the best words that we have. But even still, we see a God who is indescribable and incomparable, and a Jesus who is something beyond we could ever imagine, and a Holy Spirit who rests and resides with the churches and is here with us today And so we need to learn to worship that way. And so it's my prayer that every single Sunday as we go through this, that our worship at Redeeming Grace looks more and more and more like the worship around the throne room of God. We can also expect to be wrapped in mystery. There are going to be things... Some of these are going to be really straightforward, especially in the letters to the churches. These are easy to interpret, and we'll dive into those, and we'll talk about them. There are going to be some passages that are difficult. There are going to be some passages where there are multiple explanations for what it could mean. And I have a belief system. I have a theology that informs what I understand about the book of Revelation. I've spent a lot of time in it. And so I feel confident about some of those things. Some of them I'm going to have to say, this is how I believe. This is communicated to us. But here's some other ways that people understand this, and that's okay. We're not going to get lost in trying to break down some of the things that we can't. We're not going to spend six weeks trying to identify what the beast means. We're going to talk about it. We're going to dive into those things. But sometimes we're going to have to step away and say, this could mean this, but if not, it's okay. And we don't understand this now, but one day we will. And that's frustrating, at least for me. You might be perfectly fine with that, but I like all of the answers all of the time. I like to be able to give them short and concise, and I like it all wrapping up neatly. And some of the things inside of this book just will not do that, and that's okay. And in those times, we're going to sit back and think, my God is too awesome for me to understand here and now. My Christ is too amazing for me to grasp that in full. The Holy Spirit is too wonderful and is working for me to fully understand all these things. And God knows things that I don't, and that's okay. But one day we will. And here's the beautiful thing about that. We are going to go into meeting Christ for the first time face-to-face with mystery, Whether it's breathing our last or seeing Christ return to make everything right and everything new, one day when we stand before Jesus, we'll come to him not knowing everything, and then we'll see him. And our faith will be made sight, and our hope will be made realized, and we will get to worship him in a way that we never have before. And then finally, we need to expect to be blessed. Again, the very first chapter of this book, three verses in. God says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. We need to expect to be blessed as we go through this. And as a church, we are going to claim that blessing. We're going to grab a hold of that blessing and say, God, you have promised us that if we read this book, you're going to bless us. And we don't know what that looks like, but we trust in you. And so God bless us through the reading of your word. We ask that every single Sunday, right? May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. And so we are going to double down on that and expect that God is going to bless us in a way that we can never imagine by seeing his word laid out through the book of Revelation. So let's get ready to do it. We're going to dive in and we're going to see what God is revealing to us through the book of Revelation. Don't be scared. Don't be frustrated in the places that you don't fully understand or confused. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know if I agree with how you interpreted that right there. That's fine too. More than anything else, we need to come together and say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And cling on to the picture of our Savior and the hope that comes For all of those who know him. I am so excited about diving into this book, and I hope you are as well. Invite people to come along with you. It's an easy invite. We're talking about revelation. Okay, I'm down. Invite somebody to come in and to be a part of what we're doing as we get to see Christ on full display and be prayerful as you read through this, as we all read through this together on our own, be prayerful that God would teach you through the Holy Spirit and that God would continue to shape not just our own personal worship, but who we are as a church, how we worship together corporately, and how we go out into the world to love and to serve the way that Christ has called us to love and to serve until we get to Revelation 21 and 22 and Jesus makes everything right and everything new and we're with Christ forever.